0: I need that. Thank you. You got quite a greeting, quite a welcome this morning. So it's good to see everybody. It's good to be together, uh, as it is every Lord's Day. I look forward to it. It's the well, it's the one day a week I work, but also it's just a it's just a wonderful kidding about that. But it is a a uh, uh, wonderful time to be together. A highlight to have this community that we can can be a part of. We've been talking about the. Various roles of God, the various traits of God in our life, how we interact with God. Um, our God, our creator, we talked about a few weeks ago. God, uh, our navigator, leading us on this journey. We've talked about God as a protector last week. And there's a very natural sort of foundational thing about God that we see demonstrated in Scripture. It is, it is throughout, I mean, it saturates Uh, our scriptures when we look at um, the role that God plays in the life of his people it's one of the most fundamental things that he does you can go back to the very very beginning and we can see the evidence of God as a provider if you look in Genesis chapter 2 and I encourage you to turn there if you have your Bible in Genesis chapter 2 we have the creation story in chapter 1 We move into chapter 2. We kind of have a a revisit of of the creation story. We have uh, man being created and placed on this earth. And then in verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, "...the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Skip down to verse uh, 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Look at what God did. He wanted to create something, and we have talked about this uh, sort of desire to create something new when we talked about God the creator, and he does that. And he places it in where? In a garden where they don't really have to work. There's nothing there that that they are responsible for. They're there to cultivate it and grow it. But God does the planting. God does the providing. He built a beautiful home for them. A wonderful place where they would be safe, protected, and cared for and have everything that they needed for their survival. God, by his nature, is a provider, and he provides his creation with what they need for sustenance. It says that God brought the waters to to water those plants, to grow that food. And now we contrast that to what happens, because we have that little warning there in that passage that there's one thing you don't need to eat of, and it's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't, Don't partake in that, because there's consequences for it. Well, we know that that ends up happening, and we see the consequences. If you move forward to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 17, God is listing out the punishment. Now, I don't know, and and, and it could be debated whether or not that sin entering the world through Adam and Eve actually changed the nature of man and its relationship with the world and with God, or if these were truths about the world God created that were now being revealed to them because of their knowledge and because of their exile from the garden. There's some some debate about those things, and, and fair enough. But their life would be forever altered. Their life would be changed. The way that they lived would be upended. And look at the description of the punishment or the result of sin that is, is given to Adam in chapter 3, verse 17 of Genesis. And then then to Adam he said, "'Because you have listened to the voice of your wife "'and have eaten from the tree which I, commanded, which, which I commanded you, "'saying you shall not eat from it, "'cursed is the ground because of you. "'In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. "'Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, "'and you will eat the plants of the field. "'By the sweat of your face you will eat bread.'" till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return the primary focus of god's message to adam following their sin and sin entering the world is it's no longer going to be easy for you to be provided god had planted a garden had built them a home and provided their food and their sustenance and their needs and that was undone by sin and from that point on, it would be the struggle of man to worry about our next meal, to have to work for it. Now, does that mean God didn't still provide? No, I believe God absolutely provides because he built a world that by its nature grows things, but it takes work. Now, we, we can put things in the ground and we can cultivate and water and care for them and they will grow and they will produce food and they will reproduce after their own kind, but we have to work at it. We didn't have to work at it before. But anyone that's ever planted a garden knows weeds are easy. Everything else is hard. I always thought that was so weird. I can grow just about anything except what I want to grow. When I I have to work at that part of it. And that's all because of Adam and Eve. Because now I have to toil. It's not provided for me in the same way. still provided by the world God created, the facts of life and the nature that's around us but no longer cared for and maintained the way that God did in the garden. But from the very beginning, we see that a major part of the relationship with God was about his providing. He provided the food, he provided the water, he provided the animals, he provided the safe place. And it was man in our relationship being severed with God and being damaged by sin that we too severed some of that provision in the same way. And yet we see a God who continually makes effort to provide for his people throughout Scripture. As we move on from the garden, and we, and we, we join back up with, with God's people as they leave Egypt, they're bound for a promised land. How is that promised land described in Scripture? Do you remember? you remember how it's described? A land flowing with milk and honey. The very promised land of God to the Israelites is described in terms of what it provides. It's nourishment. He doesn't say, you know, it's a, a nice plot of land up on a hill. That's the promised land. No, the promised land is a land that is prosperous, a land that is full, a land that is nourishing. A land that is provided and providing That's how the promised land is described. On the journey, there is hunger. On the journey, there is need. And God provides there as well. For all the years that they wandered until they reached the promised land, God provided a continental breakfast every morning. There was manna on the ground when they woke up. And there was food for them to eat. Nourishment for them to take in for their journey. Because it was long and it was hard. And God's provision doesn't always mean that that journey doesn't need to be taken. It means that on that journey, you will have help. That's the message in John chapter 16, when Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm not going to be here forever. And he says to them, but I'm going to leave, and in my place, I'm going to send you a comforter. If you look at John chapter 16, you'll see the word comforter or helper. The word in the Greek is paraclete. We don't have an English equivalent, but it means one who goes on a journey or one who bears a burden. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will come when Jesus leaves, and we know it did on the day of Pentecost. It came upon those who were gathered there. And that Spirit was meant to be a comforter and a helper and a spiritual provision, spiritual nourishment to go on the journey with us, to carry the burden with us. The burden still must be carried, the journey must still be traveled, but we have a helper God provided in the spirit. Just as he provided the manna in the wilderness, just as he spoke of the promised land as a land flowing with provision with milk and honey. We even see in the law, in the old law, God's ability to provide in a a way that was meaningful to them. If you look at Leviticus chapter 11, that's where we find the list of what they're allowed to eat and what they're not allowed to eat. And my goodness, bacon-wrapped shrimp is not on the menu, and I am thankful for Jesus Christ because of that fact that we can have whatever we want, amongst other reasons, but that's a big one. But you look at their menu and what they're not allowed to have. We today, in 2021, can, using the knowledge of medical science... Uh, and the science of microorganisms and microbiology and bloodborne pathogens, we can look at Leviticus chapter 11 and some of the following chapters, and we can see that they're scientifically sound. Like, yeah, that would pork would be a bad thing for nomadic desert people to try and eat. Uh, rabbits would probably be a bad thing to be carrying along with you because you can get tularemia from their urine, and you're walking around barefoot with. And blood-borne diseases that way. Yeah, it probably is a good idea for sick people to leave town, leave the community for a little while, and quarantine. Yeah, it's probably a good idea not to let certain animals get around your food and certain things to get around your food. And if a lizard runs across your kitchen counter and hits a spoon that knocks into a glass and splashes water on your food, you've got to throw everything out because... We understand that little things travel from our hands to other things and all around. They didn't know that then. We've only known it for less than 200 years, and yet somehow it's there in Scripture. Scientifically sound advice before they even knew the science. I don't see any other explanation than there's God in there providing giving them instruction and guidance in a way that they could understand. We would understand it differently today, and it would be differently, uh, handled differently today. But God had a people to keep alive until Jesus came, and he did that through his provision, and he did that through his law. As we move into the time of Christ, the manner in which God provides is also demonstrated very clearly. In Jesus' ministry, he talks very often about feeding those who are hungry, clothing those who have have no clothing, sheltering those who have no shelter, providing for those who are helpless. Jesus talks a lot about that being a major ministry of the early church, and in fact it was. A lot of what they did was what we call benevolence. It was a part of their daily life as a community. That they cared for those who were hurting and who were in need. Jesus, in fact, in his time, looked upon people with concern and with pity when they did not have enough. If you remember in the different accounts of him feeding multitudes, there is one account that mentions that he saw these people and they had traveled a great distance and he had pity on them. He had pity on them because they didn't have time to get home to eat, they were hungry and they were way out in the middle of nowhere. And so Jesus fed them. He fed them. How many times do we see Jesus teaching lessons at dinner? How many times do we see Jesus in the middle of a dinner dining with people, providing them with words of life? And he feeds the multitude. In John chapter 6 is one account of it. And then he explains himself after he does it. Let's skip uh, from in chapter 6 down to verse 26 in the book of John, the gospel of John. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So the multitude has come back, they keep following him. And he says, yeah, you're, you're following me because I fed you. You ate the loaves and were filled. Verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him, the father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And I'll skip down a little bit to verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven. Remember that manna? The bread out of heaven, it is my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Jesus himself is described as the bread of life. The eternally satisfying, satiating, and quenching power. In terms of the description, are you starting to see this amazing theme from creation till now that God is a provider? God is the giver of life and he is the giver of sustenance you ever wonder why God made us to need food? Why did he make us that way? I mean, he could have made us any way he wanted. He could have made us not to need that. Could have created a body that didn't need to fuel itself with with calories to be burned in the engine of our bodies. He could have made us that way. We wouldn't have donuts on Sunday morning, you know. Why does he make us... Need needy of, of food and sustenance. I find a lot of similarity in that question as I do the question of why did God make us weak and sinful or susceptible to sin. I believe God built within us needs. Needs that can be satisfied through worldly things and needs that can be satisfied through heavenly things. And it is, the, it is the task of our soul, it is the journey of our existence to turn our attention to satisfying the spiritual hunger over the worldly hunger. Now, God certainly wants us to eat. And there's plenty of example in Scripture of God providing food. But there is also example of God providing spiritual food. And I think here in John chapter 6, Jesus finally brings these things together And points out to us, this physical hunger you experience, that is a lesson. That is a microcosm. That is an example, a model, a type, an archetype. Very similarly, there's a lot of things about our life that reflect larger spiritual truths. Marriage, for example, is given to us as a a spiritual truth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the same way, Jesus makes the point that our physical hunger is an example of the spiritual truth of the hunger that our hearts have for a Savior, and that is Christ. He says, I am the bread of life. God has spent all of the the span of time creating his people, placing his people where they needed to be, calling his people, and always, always feeding his people, providing for their needs filling their stomachs when they needed it. And now here comes Jesus to tell us there is something beyond this life. There is something beyond this realm. And all these years and all this lifetime we spend feeding ourselves and getting hungry again. What is that? Is that just the, the fact of how we're built? Or is it something deeper? Do we eat and get hungry that God may teach us a lesson? That this world is temporary, everything about it. Our pains, our pleasures, our suffering, our joy, our hunger, our satisfaction. Everything about this life is temporary. And just as we eat and hunger again, Jesus wants to point out to us this lesson that God built into our biology. You eat and you hunger again. But if you eat of the bread of life, the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and Him crucified, you will be forever satiated in your soul. You will be forever satisfied. The provision of God for your soul is eternal. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we see. If we if we broaden our scope to the entirety of Scripture, you see a God who is fundamentally concerned with providing for a need that he built into us in order that we might see that need as a temporal and temporary thing reflecting an eternal spiritual truth. Is it any wonder then in the parables of Jesus, in the actions and stories of Jesus, we are repeatedly given this image of a a dinner, of people being invited in to a banquet, to a table, to dine together. How many parables use the imagery of a party or a dinner or a gathering where people are invited in? And the people that think they're invited aren't invited. And the people that don't seem, wouldn't be the people you'd invite, they're brought in. That's us. We are called repeatedly by Jesus in the stories he tells and in the ministry that he gave us an example of. We are invited to dine with God. We are invited to sit at a table with the Lord and share with Him. Do you know how important that is? If I invite you over for dinner, that doesn't mean a whole lot. You come over, we eat, we'll hang out, we'll watch some TV, maybe watch the Packers game or something if it's on. You know, we're going to have some, uh, some time together, that's great. It doesn't really mean much. In Semitic cultures, we mean Jew, Jewish Arabic cultures, In Semitic cultures, when you share a meal with someone, by their law, that means you are now responsible for that person's life. If I eat with you, if you sit at my table, I've got to now take care of you. Do you realize how significant it is that God invites us to his table to provide for us a spiritual food that will never dissipate? The hunger will never return. Eternally filled and eternally provided for and eternally His, His responsibility. The ones He protects, the ones He cares for. We belong to Him. I believe that the the whole of Scripture reveals to us a God that is a provider, He is concerned for the meeting of our needs. But many times the needs that he meets are simply there to be an example of larger spiritual needs that he provides for that we don't think about that often. Just as God provides for the needs of our body, our physical life, he makes sure that we're cared for, and he's always made sure his people are cared for. He wants us to reflect and see that there is something beyond something eternal, something that only Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection can satisfy. We are invited to his table to dine, to partake, and to be completely satisfied for eternity by being made whole, by filling in that gap that exists where we can do no more, where only he can work through the blood of Christ. We are made whole. We are provided for a salvation, a redemption, a resurrection that comes through Christ from God, our provider. This morning, if you are feeling a spiritual hunger, you're feeling that pain, you're feeling that grumbling, you're feeling that hurt spiritually, God renews those blessings day by day to feed and to satisfy. It comes through his word. It comes through prayer. It comes through the fellowship of Christians. And ultimately, it comes through his son. We are all here today. We are a part of this community because of him. I happen to like Almost all of you, I guess. Yeah, sure. We'll go with all of you. I like all of you. I get along with you. We have a good time together. If it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for, I don't know if I would even know who you were. Doesn't mean I don't like you, but I might have missed out on all that blessing. But what brings us all together to, to enjoy that is that we have unity in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we are here. Because of Jesus, we are friends and we have this beautiful family. I'm thankful for that. I could have missed out on something if it wasn't for that. But God in his wisdom sent his son not only to satisfy the needs of our soul, but to build a community on that basis, on the basis of Jesus. He founded a church, a community, an ecclesia, a gathered called people who come together to care for one another. May we all be filled, not just physically, but spiritually. And let's help one another to find their seat at that table, to dine with the Father, and to be made whole. If you have any needs this morning that we can help you with, we want you to know that we're here for you in every way we can be. Let's stand together and sing.